Welcome back to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. This week, we are sitting down and talking with uh, filmmaker, comedian, ultra runner, Jeffrey James Benny, uh, about his film Once is Enough, uh, which you can find, or I found on Amazon Prime, uh, but you can also find it on iTunes and Hulu and and all those uh, fun places. Um you know, I, I, as if you've listened to the show before, I watch a lot of sports documentaries and ad- adventure sports documentaries specifically, especially if I'm like feeling that need for adventure, but I can't quite just go out and experience the world. I'm like, you know what, man, I'm going to put on a cool sports documentary um, and I'll go through a bunch and I'm going to be honest. There's been a handful where I've watched the first five minutes and I'm like, yeah, this one's, this one's not for me. Um, and I'll turn it off. And so, you know, I turned on once is enough Jeffrey's film and I was like, we'll see how this is. And instantly it captured my imagination. Instantly I was captivated. Um, he does it in such a creative way. Uh, like I said, he's a comedian. So he basically intercuts uh, parts of his one man show where he's explaining his journey into ultra running, um, with the journey itself with also like kind of a more personal, deep interview, uh, about the reasons why he's getting into this. And in my mind, I'm like, wow, he captured everything. He captured the hilariousness, the seemingly pointlessness of ultra running. Um, seemingly, might I add. But he captures all that weirdness that comes along with the sport that is funny. If you try to tell it to people and they're like, wait, you just run miles and miles and miles through the woods. And you're like, yeah, but it's awesome. Um, they, they kind of look at you like, what? That's, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Um, but then he also gets to what we all seek and look for and sometimes find, which is these deep, deeply personal moments and these, this deep reflection that you have, uh, as you're pushing yourself. And it's awesome. Like, I just loved that so much, um, and really appreciated that uh, the film wasn't just about the lightheartedness or it just wasn't about the deep dark moments it was that beautiful mixture of the of the two and of everything not just the two but everything in between and it's it's great i can't talk enough about it so uh, we can just dive right into this episode uh also I just like talking with Jeffrey. He was awesome, super lighthearted, super easy to talk to. We had a fun, funny conversation. Um, fellow Midwesterner, which is awesome. Uh, so yeah, let's let's just dive right in. This is the Like a Bigfoot podcast number two hundred and twelve with Jeffrey James Benny. All right, guys, this week we're joined with Jeffrey James Benny. And dude, I'm, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Um, my daughter and I sat down and we've just been like binge watching adventure documentaries. Like I'm trying oh, to nice. brainwash her. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so we went on, you know, you just flipped through Amazon Prime and we found Once is Enough. And I was like, this looks cool, man. It's about like 100 milers and 
people achieving their goals like hell yeah i'm in <laughs> it's fun that's fun stuff right <laughs> yeah yeah so first i gotta say congrats on the film but also just congrats on completing 100 miles like that's that's insane oh thanks yeah, it was insane. I don't want to spoil the movie, but uh, oh, it wasn't yeah, an it. easy. <laughs> it wasn't an easy uh, road to hoe, so to speak. It could have it could have gone better, but we got there nonetheless. We got to the finish line of a hundred miler. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing I enjoyed about it um, is you're also a comedian, and you tell the story from almost like a one man show kind of deal, right? Yeah. And then, so you're telling the story from a comedy perspective and it's hilarious, but then at the same time, you're telling it from a really like human heartfelt uh, perspective as well, like in the one-on-one -on -one interviews. And I just, I just thought like going back and forth between that was so good because ultra running is hilarious. It's hilarious. It's dumb. It's extreme. But at the same time, like it digs deep and it's emotional and it just has all of that in one, one thing. And I thought you captured it. So congrats. Uh, well, thank you. That's, that's so nice to hear. Um, yeah. You know, I had the, I, I mean, artists of any variety, we have ideas all the time as a podcaster. I'm sure you have ideas and you know what? 95% of them fall by the wayside They're They're no good for whatever reason. Um, but this one just, it just kept seeming to work. I, 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 I had the initial idea. I've always, you know, I grew up uh, as an actor in theater and I have always loved the juxtaposition of comedy against tragedy. And uh, not only as a performer, but when I'm consuming, you know, a film or, or, or uh, a TV show, there's nothing I love more than like them manipulating me to the point of tears and then just slapping me across the face of the joke. And it doesn't, the great thing is, is it doesn't even have to be that great of a joke. <laughs> You've built up so much tension that like any release of that tension is enjoyable. So I, I, I've always loved those two things smashed up against each other. And this just seemed like the perfect opportunity to, to kind of highlight both of those. I mean, you know, documenting the, the journey of me trying to run 100 miles after losing my mom to <clears throat> heart disease uh, against a bunch of poop jokes written about the experience, uh, like immediately was really attractive to me. And, you know, I wasn't in a great place. Uh, I'd lost my mom and I really needed a, a project. And, and so, yeah, it just, it just kind of, it just kind of took off. And in the, at the, at the end of the day, it was without question the best therapy I ever could have had. I certainly couldn't have paid <laughs> for therapy that good. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, and I always think that too. And I've used ultra running in the past, uh, in a similar way where I'm like, I just need time to, to deal with what's been going on in my life and I need time to process. And, you know, it's never like, you know, it's never like, uh, like to resolve, like that's never the, the thought going in, like, I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to resolve all my issues. It's always Fix like, all my problems. I'm going to solve all my problems. It's always like, no, I'm going to like take time to actually like at least process this, you know? And yeah, I think if nothing else, that was one of the things that, that attracted me to trail running so much, because I mean, I guess it should be noted uh, for those of you who can't see me, I'm a six foot two. Uh, I was 340 pound, like ginger, burly lumberjack, <laughs> uh, slightly less heavy than that now. 
but um, I was not athletic, and it was it was it was when my mom was in the hospital, and I discovered a trail running magazine in the hours that I spent in the waiting room, and I think that's what like attracted me so much to it was just um, it's not that you go out into the woods to like fix yourself, but there's something about like there's nothing else to do on a trail run other yeah. than like kind of think. I mean, things might occasionally actively happen. Like you might, you know, need to get through a creek or something. But a large majority of the time, you're just kind of in autopilot. And and I realized that I, there was no other scenario in my life where I let my brain kind of chill like that. And immediately, like just immediately, I was hooked. Like, yeah, I just, I, you know, I wasn't, I, I love meditation. I love like, the idea of mindfulness but i just wasn't taking the time and this kind of forced me to take the time yeah well i wanted to ask you that like once you started training and like you kind of described like going from non-athlete to being like hey i'm gonna run 100 miles like first of all bold move and <laughs> mad res- <laughs> like definitely respect for that man uh but like when you started did did it automatically become something you love doing or was it something that you were just kind of like this is a necessity for me to do 100 miles so there was a long build up to me actually setting foot on a trail. <laughs> there <Okay. laughs> were a lot there were a lot of uh hours spent. Uh my, my mom at the end of her life was in the ICU of the hospital for 3 months and I was living in New York at the time and I came back to Missouri where my family was staying and we had a hotel room but I just uh like a serious mama's boy right here and I just couldn't I just couldn't imagine leaving her overnight in that ICU. She was hooked up to a a gazillion machines. She didn't know anyone was there, but I don't know. I just couldn't leave. So I had all of these nights, usually sleepless in this waiting room. And it was a pretty slow burn of, uh, I discovered these trail running magazines and then I started doing research online. And it was a pretty... I would say it took a good two months for me to actually set foot on a trail, but we had a particularly bad day uh, in my mom's uh, hospital stay. And I, on a whim, just went and found a running store and bought a pair of shoes. Uh, (laughs) Looking back, I bought, uh, it was, it had rained that day and I knew that I was immediately going out for a run, but we were in Missouri. Like the soil yeah. is like hummusy and muddy. <laughs> and I went out to a running store and I bought Vibram or Vibram, however you say it, five finger <laughs> shoes. They're basically, <laughs> basically glorified socks for me to go run in the mud. <laughs> and a, a dude that I passed even like kind of like politely made fun of me on that first run. But <clears throat> I'm, I'm kind of getting off track here. Your, your, your question was, did I immediately love it? It took a long, uh, a long time for me to actually set foot on trail. But the second I went for that first run, I freaking loved it. I felt like a kid playing, running through the woods. Like I yeah. felt like silly. It felt like, um, uh, I don't know. I, I didn't feel the same pressures that I felt in like PE. Like uh, there was no emphasis on speed. There was nobody watching me. It was just me on a trail doing whatever the F I wanted to do. And I <laughs> loved it. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. And then you get done and you're just covered in mud and sweat. And you're just, I don't, for me, I'm like, I just feel more connected to everything around me because I made, like I went out and just, 
I don't know. You, it's just so amazing. I can't describe it, dude. You did a great job. You did a better job describing it. Yeah, no, I, I, 100%. Like, I, I, I totally get it. I think, I think any, any trail or ultra runner can, can attest to that feeling. But I love that idea of, like, nobody is around. And no one gives a shit either. Like, no one cares that you went out and ran. Like, you'll, co- you'll go back and tell people and be like, dude, I just ran six miles in the woods. It was like it changed my perspective on the world and they're like okay cool man <laughs> <laughs> yeah well and 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 to go back to what we were talking earlier about you know the juxtaposition of comedy and tragedy i i i think it like was even more perfect because that's so um indicative of at least for me trail running and ultra running i mean any run over five or six miles there's at the very least uh, a good half mile stretch where you know maybe it's uphill maybe i need to eat something maybe i've ran out of water there's always a challenge and it just keeps ex- getting you know exacerbated the longer uh you push the distance and the longer you push the distance at least for me the ups and downs were so dramatic i've, I've realized subsequently that at the end of the day, I think it was blood sugar. I mean, I was technically yeah. eating enough to finish these races, but I probably should have been regulating myself uh, a little bit more closely in terms of food. But anytime you do one of these runs, I mean, I would say anything over, what, 15, 20 miles, you are inevitably going to have so many mental, emotional ups and downs. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've just been alone crying in the woods, running down the trail. I don't know why. Well, sometimes I know why, but a lot of times it's just inexplicable. A lot of times I'm just tired and hungry and my blood sugar is low and my brain's doing weird things that I can't explain. But, um, you know, I, I just wanted the structure of the film, the up and down yeah. uh, to, to kind of reflect, you know, how these long runs go. Yeah, it's amazing, man. When when you when did you like tell people like your sister and your friends like when did you tell them like, hey, I'm gonna I signed up for this I signed up for this ultra marathon and what was their reaction because most people don't even know what an ultra marathon is. Yeah, well, you know, I have a history of biting off more than I can chew, of having big ideas. And I'm really fortunate to have grown up, uh, especially my mom, but I'm really fortunate to have grown up with parents who were, yes, parents. Um, you know, I could give them some ridiculous, you know, I grew up on a pig farm in rural Missouri. You know, I, I well, I, th- th- this is a, an example. I remember telling my mom like, hey, I'm bored. There's a bunch of hay bales and scrap metal in the barn. I bet that I could probably build a roller coaster. And, you know, any reasonable parent would be like, uh, yeah, let's not. But my mom was a yes one. She was like, yeah, you probably can like be safe like you know do you need anything like that was just kind of her vibe and so it's it's created unfortunately an adult human who feels like he can do uh anything (laughs) for better or worse but i was super confident and i started with a 50 miler i told uh my sister i told my close friends um that i i wanted to do a 50 mile run they knew that i was getting into trail running but that was kind of the first ridiculous distance i mean a marathon which sounds so silly 26 (laughs) miles is so freaking far um but they probably knew people who had done a marathon 
right know. they knew people who had done a marathon but the 50 miler was the first time that they were like whoa 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 like is this safe is this smart <laughs> all you know all the questions and i did the north face endurance challenge which is just north of san francisco oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah it's an awesome run i highly recommend it um and uh my sister came my sister came to crew me and she was supportive but i think honestly i think the main reason she came was because she was worried about me <laughs> i think she thought that it wasn't safe and she wanted to make sure she was there to take care of me she's eight years older than me so a bit of a, a mom figure to begin with yeah um but that was kind of my trial. I was like, hey, I'm, you know, I, I wasn't comfortable biting off or committing to a 100 miler until I knew that I could survive 50. And I can't say that it went well, but I finished. <laughs> I finished. And that's when I committed to a 100 miler to the film. Um, I was already, you know, I had been transitioning from theater to comedy for a few years and I was wanting to write my first hour and I was like, you know, why wait around until somebody <laughs> asked me to write my first, you know, hour show? Why don't I just do it myself? Heck yeah. So, um, they were supportive. Um, they were supportive, but skeptical, I guess is the, the short answer. Yeah. Did they, after watching you go through the 50 miler was there did their worries subside or were they like oh no i get this like i understand this now um no it got way worse the 50 miler <laughs> i kind of brushed over a lot of drama when i said it, it could have gone better um <laughs> uh, I, I finished but when i finished the run um and as is my style i rolled over the finish line like a matter of minutes before the the, the cutoff um and I, uh, I hadn't eaten enough and I was hungry and uh, I think looking back, my blood sugar was probably dangerously low. I'm not diabetic, but it's dangerous for anyone's blood sugar yeah, yeah, to be, yeah. you know, super low. Um, and my sister had to hand feed me. Like I couldn't, I couldn't feed myself. I was not in a great place. So it scared her. It made her think it was a terrible, irresponsible idea. She was not at all on board <laughs> with the 100 miler. Like, hey, sis, I'm going to do two of those now. <laughs> <laughs> right but, you know as, as siblings do despite her you know not being on board she was like the first person showing up to crew for me for, for every hundred miler so yeah that's the beautiful part about siblings is um you can i mean i see it with my kids they can argue for 15 minutes straight and then the next 15 minutes their best friends are helping each other out or i've seen it a couple times where like uh a kid like picks on my three-year-old and my six-year-old will like step right in front of her and like, that is my sister and i'm like whoa they do love each other this is amazing yeah. <laughs> they do it's hard to tell sometimes but they do yeah well so you signed up for lead like i don't want to spoiler alert too much of the film because well, yeah let's i mean we should like we can't really talk about the juice true the film without like talking about what happens so i think we can just give a general spoiler alert like okay. it's, I, I don't think it ruins the film like i think it's, it's still very That's much true. worth worth watching but just know that if you like surprises some spoilers are down the pipeline <laughs> okay so yes uh stop the podcast and go watch it right now it's on mm -hmm. amazon mm -hmm. prime and uh um so you sign up for leadville 100 which mm -hmm. is known as one of the hardest ones just purely based on altitude and i think i was 
I was messaging you for the podcast and my family and I camped up there this weekend. I went on a 12 mile run and like, I had a headache, like a massive headache all day. And I've been up there and I've hiked the mountains and, and, and climbed Mount Elbert and massive, but for whatever reason, even like not in the gigantic mountains, you feel like crap while you're running. Well, and you live at what? Like 6,000 feet? Yeah, basically. Yeah. 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 So it's, 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 it's brutal. And it really, um, I think it's primarily the altitude. Um, the altitude is a huge factor. The, 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 the course is the first, the first like 40 miles and then the last 40 miles are, I certainly won't call them flat. <laughs> I won't call them flat, but they're not like brutal. I mean, they're, you know, pretty typical like mountainous rolling mountains. Um, but the, the, the middle 20 miles, it's, it's about 10 miles over Hope, Fat, uh, Hope Pass. So you go up Hope Pass and back down and then you have to turn around and do it again. Um, <laughs> And I, I, gosh, it's been so long, I can't remember the altitude change, but it's a lot. <laughs> and, and yeah, you're at altitude and it's just brutal, you know? I mean, add, you know, well, for you, add it like carrying 100 pounds on your backpack. Uh, it's, it was, it was, it was tough. And uh, here's the, the, the official spoiler, I guess. Uh, I missed the cutoff at mile 46, just at the top Barely of the pass. Too. Yeah, by like, I think it was like 13 minutes, something like that. Um, And it was done. It was over. Yeah, it was, it was, um, it was, it was, uh, the the, the good news was that I felt great. I would have loved to have kept going. So that was a personal victory for me that I didn't quit, that I didn't need to quit or have to quit. Um, But obviously disappointing. And, and, you know, you asked, um, you know, did I tell everybody that I was, that I was doing this? Um, the first time? Yes. Oh, I mean, I was promoting the film. I blasted it (laughs) from the rooftops all over social media. Everyone knew that I was running the Leadville 100. I had set up a live tracker. People were tracking me throughout the day. Yeah. And it sounds a little silly, but honestly, I think that was, that was the roughest part of not finishing was everyone else. I was okay. Like I was disappointed, but I was okay because I knew I had done good work. I knew that I could have and wanted to, to keep going if they had let me. Um, But it was all those other people. Like I was okay with my failure, but I, it was tough to deal with what other people might think of my failure and nobody was negative. They're all my friends and fans and (laughs) followers. Like they were awesome, but you know, all that like, self-esteem uncomfortable awkward stuff you know it just kind of explodes in in times like that oh i'm sure and yeah i but i do think like just it's you're being an example of like putting yourself out there and dealing with the failure of it you know and it's not a bad thing like i we were talking about earlier about just education and i think one of the best ways to learn is by failing at something because you learn all the lessons, you know, and I'm sure you learned lessons there, um, you know, about like battling the cutoffs or, you know, stuff like that. So. Yeah, 100%. I actually did uh, a podcast interview a couple weeks ago that was all about failure. And it was, uh, it was really interesting to like, 
really deep dive. Obviously, failure is, has been a, a big part of this experience, but I hadn't really dove as yeah. deeply into it. And it was really valuable. It kind of like, yeah. uh, like we all fail, like we all do. I mean, you know, we, we set up events to like win, but at the end of the day, like there's usually one person who wins and almost everyone is going to fail. So yeah. I wonder if there's a way, you know, especially you're an educator. I, we, that's why we were talking about it. I used to be a nanny. I wonder if like there's a way to, you know, I don't know. I, I wonder if there's a way to shift how we look at failure. Yeah. Not that it's good, but maybe we could find more value in it than we currently do. Other than I always, yeah. Sulking. I always call it first attempt in learning <laughs> fail. <laughs> and I, I like tell that. the students that I'm like, listen, guys, like you got to fail sometimes in order to learn. And that's just part of it. And I'll throw challenges at them every once in a while that are intentionally really, really difficult. And you see them struggle with it. And it's so funny because they instantly look to you like, how, how do I get out of this? I'm like, you're going to figure it out. <laughs> Like, yeah. you got this you got this but you might have to mess up first <laughs> yeah 100 so, percent. it's just shifting the mindset of like hey like be okay with it and you know something that i think you know i i mentioned just being bold like boldness earlier but being bold is being willing to put yourself out there and i think that's like a really good quality to have yeah, I think so. I mean, it's easy to say like, oh, don't care what, you know, don't care about what other people think. But like, gosh, like, I think among, uh, among my, my good qualities, which are scarce, but one of them is that uh, I'm very lucky to, and I don't know where it comes from. I don't know if it's biology or if it was my parents or what, but luckily I don't care a ton what other people think yeah. <laughs> for the most part. Well, also, like, being a comedian, you got to have a little bit of thick skin there, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's the worst. <laughs> like, the comedy industry is the worst. Like, I love it. Like, I love I love uh, the work that I do. But the yeah. industry is just, it's just the, it's just the worst. It's so vulnerable. It's so, um, you know, it's one of those things that, like, everybody has an opinion on comedy. Everyone has an opinion on a joke. But nobody has the balls to, <laughs> like, get up and do stand-up. It's just, it's just what it is. And, you know, unfortunately, it leads to you know i i i started in the in the theater world um yeah. where we have a pretty strong union things are pretty controlled like things are pretty predictable at least in like like how the industry and like the workplace works <clears throat> and for film television comedy stand-up comedy there are <laughs> no rules there are no unions there are no police there are no adults in the room it is the wild west of the entertainment industry and um yeah, it's it's just it's it's brutal. It's 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 brutal and you have to have a certain like DGAF attitude in order to like get yourself up on stage sometimes because yeah. uh, you know you all uh, well speaking of failures, I mean the shows <clears throat> the shows I've learned the most from were the ones that were uh a flop. Yeah. The ones where, you know, maybe I, I've never been heckled. Like I've never had any bad, bad shows, but shows where it just doesn't, just doesn't work. Didn't, didn't go right. Those are without question the shows where you learn the most because it's a very honest opinion. I, I constantly talk with my comedian friends about how 
there's there's sort of a threshold that comedians get to where they build up a fan base that's big enough that they stop getting honest feedback where they film a comedy special and they're in a theater with 3000 people who love them no matter what they say and i mean that's great who doesn't want that (laughs) but a huge part of the joke writing process is getting real feedback from an audience. I mean, you see you see a comedian do an hour special on Netflix, but they've been trying out those jokes for oh, yeah. over a year and they started as shit. <laughs> I don't yeah. know, can I say can I curse? Yeah, <laughs> they dude. started as crap. Like those jokes were no good and they kept like, you know, they would get feedback on one component of a sentence and they'd be like, "All right, cool. We'll keep that. We'll adjust this." It's been like over a year of refinement and you know, once you get to a certain uh, level as a comedian, you stop getting that honest feedback. I mean, Ellen DeGeneres, for example, like there's no club in the world probably that she could walk into and get honest feedback from an audience who doesn't know who she is, has no yeah. preconceived notions. Um, you know, it's, it's impossible. So, uh, you know, comedians are well acquainted with failure. So maybe that's why I was able to, <laughs> to weather go, it so easily. Well, <laughs> I wanted to ask you like, just parallels between comedy and ultra running like did one strengthen one area of your life strengthen the other or are they not are they just completely disconnected well i would say stand-up has definitely given me um like pretty big cojones performance wise um but between that and i did a lot of um improv in new york when i still lived there and between uh, improv and stand-up i definitely had a i have a sense of uh kind of like invincibility on stage. Even if things are going awful, even if the audience is hating everything that I'm doing, it's fine. Like the theater could be burning down. Like it's fine. We'll figure it out. Like we'll, and and that's like a very uh, different concept coming from the theater world. I mean, the theater world is very structured. Like here's the script, you know, what's going to happen. You know, when the, you know, when the set piece is moving, you know, where this prop needs to be. It's very structured and very specific. So, you know, it probably sounds like that's, like not that big of a contrast but it really was for me but i would say the ultra running um probably was more impactful across the board yeah um just the sense of i don't know for me the big takeaway from ultra running the big first lesson that i had to learn was that I would, I would go for a run. I would get to the point where things started hurting. My mood started tanking. Uh, any reasonable person would say, oh, hey, so this is about as far as I can run. Things are, you know, it's time to stop. I should stop and go home. Getting to that point and not stopping. Like consciously saying, no, we're just going to, for whatever reason, keep doing this thing that hurts, doesn't feel good, and is putting me in a bad mood. Let's just keep doing it for a little bit longer. Yeah. But the thing is, it turns out, you know, like that that ankle twitch that was hurting, it, it like usually goes away. You have some food and your mood improves. You stop and like take a break and get some water and like you're suddenly a new person. And just that like lesson of, hey, Crap can get real, real, real bad, but if you just keep muddling along, 
it's gonna get better. <laughs> uh, that was huge for me. And it, there were so many parallels. I mean, I don't know, find a component of life where that isn't applicable. But, yeah. you know, I would definitely was a, um, well, I've been described as, uh, what is that saying? A uh, jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> I, I've acquired a lot of skills that I do like moderately well. Um, and I don't know, it was just a good, good lesson in, in not, not giving up because I tend to, I tend to, <laughs> yeah. I tend to try to acquire a skill, learn everything I can about it. And as soon as it gets like a little too hard, <laughs> then I'll like find something else like, Oh, yeah. let's learn how to knit. <laughs> I don't know. Is that the appeal to ultra running? Cause I'm kind of the same way, but ultra running is appealing. Cause it's like, Oh, like the skill, the skill is keep putting your feet in front of the other one, you know, like, I'm like, I can do that. Like, surely I can just keep doing that no matter what. <laughs> it's like ultra running is the easiest and the hardest thing at the same time. It's <laughs> so true. Like it's, it's so hard in so many intangible ways, but it's so easy in like literally just keep moving. Like that's all you have to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, Easier that's, said I mean, than done. <laughs> well, and it's weird. Cause you're like, Oddly, it's relaxing while being incredibly uncomfortable because life gets broken down to a very simple task for a long period of time. Yeah. You know, and life's extremely complicated in all other areas, of course. Yeah. And I mean, of course, it's more complicated than this. But how many times have you had someone say like, hey, I need you to do something for me. I just need you to walk here. Yeah. That's all you need to do. I just need you to walk over here. Now, yeah. Over here in this instance is a hundred miles away. So <laughs> I get the like ludicrousy of, 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 of my proposition, but, um, dude, well, I was in a race once and I was like, all right, man, the only thing I need to do between these two aid stations is eat this fig Newton. And I was like, that's the only thing. If I can eat a fig <laughs> Newton, I have accomplished my goal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so simple, isn't it? Yeah. That's awesome. So you, uh, you decide you're going to sign up for another 100. Like it didn't go the best at Leadville. Like give it another shot. Yeah. And I mean, it should be noted. I, 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 from the get go, when I very first started on this adventure, I, I did know my limitations and I reached out to, a number of trainers <laughs> uh, and uh, first on the list and the only one who was uh, interested in the challenge was <laughs> Ian Sharman. Uh, you know, no, uh, no schlub in the, the ultra running world. Um, he was super stoked to, to train me. He was super stoked about the, the project. Um, and he, I don't know if I would have done a second one if it wasn't for him um he really uh i realized his job was to 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 physically train me to run 100 miles but uh at least at least 50 percent, if not more of his job was emotionally uh (laughs) training and pushing me to 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 run 100 miles and he 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 got me stoked about it and he he pointed me towards the rocky raccoon which for years he held the fastest hundred miler time from that course um relatively flat like rolling you know midwestern terrain that one's in, um, it's in texas right 
Yeah, it's in Texas. Um, on all accounts, it's, I mean, it's still 100 miles, but you know, there's no altitude in a lot of aspects. It's, it's a little easier. And he was like, Hey, like, <laughs> I mean, what was I thinking? Signing up for Leadville, like the, my first run to be Leadville. He was like, Hey, like I, you know, like I, 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 I know why you settled on Leadville, but this might be a better first hundred miler. <laughs> I was like, yeah, Ian, I know you're right. <laughs> so yeah. So we went to do the Rocky raccoon Huntsville, Texas, just uh, North of, Houston an hour or so to yeah. something like that um it's a, a loop which is uh five 20 mile it's a 20 mile loop that you do five times which is good, both good and bad it's good it's especially good for the crew they can stay a whole lot more stationary but um it is a bit of I don't know it's a little like uh, tricky emotionally, not feeling like you're really going anywhere. Yeah. In, in Leadville, it was exposed. You could see the mountains. You very much had a sense that you were like moving, traversing through this mountain yeah. range. And, you know, in Texas, it's forest. So you can't really get a sense of where you are in terms of the bigger picture. And it just kind of feels like you're running through an endless green <laughs> tunnel <laughs> over and over again. Um, but yeah, it was it was easier and uh i finished i finished uh again just minutes before the cutoff <laughs> <laughs> what just really quick like can you speak to like the, the stress of battling the cutoffs like is it con like constantly just in the back of your mind um especially after leadville um you know yeah well you 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 fit folk probably don't know what it's like to have the cutoff monster uh right on your shoulder but it uh it it sucks <laughs> yeah. it, uh you know the whole you're constantly like doing math in your head trying to analyze seconds trying to say like okay well this is go i'm going at you know 13 minutes and 42 seconds if i do that for 62 more miles i'll you know you're just doing oh, this geez. like like frantic math in your head like constantly um you're and, like, I, I knew my math teacher told me math would be important one day. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, totally. Um, you know, in Leadville, it was, uh, it was a bummer because I, uh, I knew that I was falling behind and I was with a group of, uh, oh, there were five or six of us. We were all trying to get up Hope Pass together. And um, I mean, Hope, Hope Pass is brutal. It's so steep. I, I wish I had the numbers in front of me, but it's so steep even for someone who's acclimated to that altitude. There was a guy in the group who was uh, – on his hands and knees. He was, he was literally crawling up the mountain. But the thing is, he was keeping up with those of us who were <laughs> quote unquote walking. But I mean, it was, it was bad. And it, luckily I wasn't alone, but like there was a group of we Clydesdales who were like really, we had kind of uh, unofficially decided to kind of get there together. Um, none of us, you know, it's not like anyone could have <laughs> bounded ahead if they wanted to. Um, but we, we just kept kind of slowly someone would announce the time and someone would try to motivate us. And it just became apparent that we weren't going to get there. We weren't going to get there. Yeah. 
And so then you start thinking, oh, well, like um, maybe they're not making people follow the rules today. Or yeah. maybe you there's get some, hopeful. Maybe yeah, you get super hopeful. Like maybe there's some scenario. It um, was hope pass. Sorry. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, no, there, the, the legitimate, um, well, semi-legitimate thinking, there was a, a pretty serious wildfire uh, nearby and it was very smoky. So there was some hopefulness that like, maybe because of the conditions that they might cut us some slack. Um, but we got to the top and uh, turns out, no, rules are rules. Uh, uh, you know, certainly not arguing with that. And I was just a little like numb. I was a little stunned. I, I, I pulled out my phone and filmed briefly. It's in the film, but I... I don't know. I just, I, I wasn't, I was sad. Um, but I don't know. I was just kind of numb, but other people, yeah. that was not the case. There was a girl with us who it was her second attempt. Uh, same thing had happened the year before. Um, you know, we started approaching the aid station and, and someone, uh, a gentleman came out from the aid station to greet us um, and let us know. I mean, he was, as as kind as he could have been, you know, he was like, hey, guys, like, you know, can I get you anything? You know, just so you know, like, the cutoff was 13 minutes ago. So just, you know, get some rest, have some food, and, and we'll, we'll head back down the mountain. Yeah. And um, everyone handled it pretty well. But the, the, that girl who, it was her second time, that's where she DNF'd before. She uh, just, like lost it (laughs) she just she just started bawling she was like on the ground like crying like it just poor thing like uh she was just she was just devastated it was such a disappointment for her but then then we were there for maybe like 15 or 20 minutes um and like some dude was on the radio like i don't know there was some weirdness like i definitely was like ah something's going on what's going on (laughs) uh her uh, fiance uh, had a feeling she was going to DNF and he had planned to propose to her at the finish line. But instead he knew that she was probably going to, to DNF. So he had been following us up the mountain the whole time. He was 15 minutes behind us and he proposed to her. Oh, what? Yeah. Like that's the craziest, like <laughs> valley and peak of emotion of all time. <laughs> yeah. Poor girl. Like she really had a day. <laughs> yeah that's Uh, that's amazing though like that's that's really cool it was definitely um uh, a little glimmer of of light (laughs) not so awesome situation yeah yeah but but then with rocky raccoon you know it's just the same like luckily i never fell that far behind and you feel a little more in control because it was uh, a flatter you know that was the thing was on the whole past like there was nothing i could do i was going as yeah. fast as i humanly could go i did not have the capacity to go to go harder but at, at uh the rocky raccoon i did you know i could i could i could adjust easier and, and, and bump yeah. it up yeah well so just real quick like what was a high moment and what was the low moment of rocky raccoon um so without question the high moment was um not the finish line (laughs) the finish line was a bit of a blur um i was you know i probably needed some sugar i wasn't totally there i don't remember it super super well um i know i was excited but i think the, the 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 high point for me was 
uh, at mile 80, which is was the last time I hit the the starting line and saw my crew and <clears throat> was starting out for my last 20 mile loop. And that was the moment that both my crew and myself realized that like barring me screwing this up, like I could do this. Like I was on, I had to move, I had to move fast, but I might actually do this. And that was so, so exciting. Like, I mean, the, the, the nighttime in any hundred miler, gosh, that period from like when the sun goes down until you hit like mile 85, you know, where depending on your speed, however long that period is, is brutal. But then you see that light at the end of the tunnel. <clears throat> and for me, that was without question the most, you know, uplifting, exciting, positive moment. I think, <laughs> I think the downside, the, the, the lowest point was probably about ugh, maybe eight miles later when I started having difficulty breathing. And I couldn't figure out why. <clears throat> I thought it was just like, something that happens when you run a hundred miles, you know, I was like, ah. this is where the people stop. This is where you stop breathing as easily. <laughs> well, yeah, I was like, yeah, I don't know, maybe, five, duh. maybe, maybe <laughs> been, like, breathing a bunch of dust or something. Who, who knows? Um, but then it wasn't until like almost at the finish line, I remembered that I had taken a pretty hard fall around mile like 63 or 64. Uh, and I was like, Oh, I wonder <laughs> I wonder if, if that was more substantial than I realized and turned out I had a fractured rib which like is not that big of a deal like you can't do anything for it you just let it heal but it does like it, you feel um I don't know if you ever had pneumonia it just feels like you can't take like an inhale yeah. so that was probably the like the lowest moment because I started to uh just like panic a little bit I was like oh no have I have I pushed myself too far? Is 85 miles my limit? <laughs> Is this the point when everything falls apart? Yeah. But do you got over, like, did you get over it or did you just deal with the pain for the next 15 miles? Yeah, I just dealt with it. It wasn't really like pain at that point. It was just like noticeable, like difficulty inhaling. So it wasn't like, oh, I can't go on. It was just yeah. like, uh, something's not right. Something's <laughs> definitely not right. <laughs> yeah. So when did it, when did it hit you that you ran a hundred miles? Was it, instantly at the finish line or was it days later no it was the next day for sure um i i got back to the hotel you know i finished around like 11 noon um got back to the hotel in the afternoon and i slept uh hard i think i woke up at 11 p.m and demanded an entire pizza for myself <laughs> and then went back to sleep best pizza of all time i've <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but when I woke up the next day, uh, I just spent hours sitting in bed going through um, all of the text messages and social media messages. And uh, that was like, that was when it sunk in. That was when like, oh, I did this. And it should be noted that I, I was a little, um, 
a little wounded from from Leadville where I had blasted it, uh, you know, blasted from the hilltops that I was doing a hundred miler. And so for Rocky Raccoon, I did not tell anybody. Yeah. <clears throat> I told my my crew, obviously, that was there, my running crew and the film crew who were there. And I told two of my best friends, but I didn't tell anyone else because if I failed, I, I was honestly, I assumed I was going to fail. Um, I didn't want to have to deal with that. Like I, it was, it's bad enough to deal with the failure on your own, let, a not, let, let alone having to tell, you know, hundreds, thousands of people that you also failed. So I didn't tell anybody. And that was an added uh, level of excitement was like, not only did I finish, I was able to say like, oh, hey, hey by guys. the way, guess what I casually did yesterday? <laughs> happy, happy Sunday morning, everybody. Uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right, That's right. awesome, man. Well, like I said, huge congrats. Um, loved, Thanks. I love the movie and you know, I thought once is enough is, was such a perfect title. Once you kind of explain the meaning behind it, because it, it encapsulated like just the spirit of why someone would go out and run a hundred miles. But at the same time, it's also something someone says the day after of running a hundred miles. We're like, you yeah, know, once, once might be enough. And then whatever, like a couple of weeks later, you might think otherwise, but yeah. yeah, that's, I mean, that's exactly why we picked the title. I've loved that quote by Mae West forever. Um, but in this instance, it seemed perfect because going into watching the film, hearing the title, you would assume, oh, once is enough. He's talking about, you know, running 100 miles once exactly is enough. Right. <laughs> yeah. But then, you know, the, the actual quote is um, I wrote it down. You got it? You I wrote it in my notes. Oh, yeah. It's uh, you only live once, but if you do it right, once is enough. And I was like, exactly. oh, come on, man. So good. <laughs> it's a good quote. I wish I was responsible for saying it, but yeah. May West. <laughs> you, you repeated it. I repeated it very well. So yes. it could say Jeffrey James Benny dot, 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 quoting May West. <laughs> Uh, that's a stretch, Chris, <laughs> but <laughs> if you say it's okay, let's go for it. It's totally okay. Um, yeah. Last thing really quick. Uh, I checked out your YouTube channel in my like thin layer oh, no. research. You bought a bus on eBay and yeah, I just have, have to, to hear about it. I mean, just real quick, like how the heck do you buy a bus on eBay? Yeah. Uh, so it actually... <clears throat> Well, it's a, something you can do. Uh, so I wanted to build a schoolie, which is taking a school bus and converting it into an RV. At this point, I'm sure everyone's, everyone who's on Pinterest has seen plenty of schoolies. Um, but I was working remotely, and that was my next idea, my next ridiculous idea. Uh, so I, I ended up finding a a used school bus on eBay, just a few hours drive from actually from the Rocky Raccoon. No <laughs> so way. yeah, so I, I, I bought the school bus. I got like a really, really good deal on a really nice used school bus. Um, and three, two days after, after the Rocky Raccoon, I drove to Southern Texas to the border uh, picked up the school bus um, and then spent a year and a half in Missouri with it parked on my family's farm, converting it into an RV. And it's like three thirds of the three quarters of the way done. Uh, but I got a killer job offer in Salt Lake City that I couldn't refuse. So I had to move. So it's kind of on hold and I don't really know what's uh, what the future holds. His name is Earl, the bus. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. It's, you know, it's interesting to be talking about failure because I'm honestly, I think 
the bus probably that lifestyle probably isn't as viable as it was two years ago when I first started the project and I think I definitely need to just let it go and sell it and move on but I'm having a hard time dealing with that failure you know it's always been my thing like I Jeffrey has these crazy ideas but he always follows through like he always gets them done like somehow he does it he wants to run 100 miles I don't know how but he did it he wants to make a film I don't know but he did it he wants to write his first hour show he did it he wants to live in a school bus full time he didn't do it Uh, (laughs) and I'm having a I'm having a hard time with that and I just need to let it go but anyway yes I have a does anyone in the market for a school bus I man if you're in the market for a school bus could we turn this into an advertisement yeah this was this whole thing this whole thing was was all about I didn't know. Yeah, dude, it's marketing strategy. I don't know. I don't know if you're a marketer <laughs> I'm or not. whatever. And yeah, I obviously am. So uh, <laughs> there you go. You can have a school bus. <laughs> yeah. um, Jeffrey, dude, thank you for coming on, man. Like oh, I, like I said, me. I really enjoyed the movie. Um, it's it's one that I'll definitely rewatch too because like I just thought it just did such a wonderful job just capturing that whole journey. So. Oh, well, thank you. That's yes. so kind of you. Congrats. Uh, where can people kind of like follow along with all the, all the stuff you're into all the future yeah. adventures? Yeah. Um, at Jeffrey Benny, J E F F R E Y B as in boy, I N N E Y on all the <laughs> social medias. And the film now is almost everywhere. It's on iTunes, Google play, Amazon, to be all all the places so you you can find it awesome awesome well thanks for coming on the show and uh yeah dude i'd love to catch up with you again at some point yeah let's do it you're not that far away in denver let's let's uh go heck yeah dude yeah if you're in the woods here if you're over in denver let me know we'll go for on it let's do it all right ladies and gents that was it for the week jeffrey dude thank you so much for chatting with me i could have chatted with you for hours man you're hilarious and awesome and you know i'm just i'm very inspired by you and your journey into ultra running and the your ability to um just authentically capture the whole experience which is which is pretty incredible so uh yeah make sure to check out his film once is enough um like i said it's on amazon and prime and hulu and uh itunes and all that stuff so so yeah Anyways, guys, I had myself uh, a week of just sitting, not a week, it was like four days of just sitting in a boat, not catching fish because me and my dad, (laughs) we tried, we didn't catch a lot, Um, but we just sat in a boat and kind of, you know, had that peace of mind for for four days. We went up to uh, Voyagers National Park. which is like right on the border of Canada. Usually we would go into Canada and, and that obviously like is not possible right now. So, uh, we went fishing up there, but there's something about just being in the wilderness. And as we're sitting there, you're just seeing bald eagles and hearing them in the distance loons. Um, I saw a wolf at one point, walking down the road that wasn't technically the wilderness but (laughs) but there's just something about it like listening to the water hit the side of the the islands and things like that um and I just sat there and just really like got deep into thought you know I wasn't able to distract myself with my phone um and it really just allows you to take a break and take a pause and 
think about what is important in your life. And, you know, I also, I find that for sure in ultra running, especially the days where I either do like a long training run or I'm actually doing the event itself. Um, and I'm able to kind of like get into just a rhythm, but I just think that's so important because our daily lives are so busy and so stressful right now. Um, I don't watch 24 hour news, but it was on at one point. Uh, and that's like the most stressful fear inducing thing. I think I looked at the screen for maybe five minutes and I was like freaking out and it's just like the hosts of it are just like angry people yelling stuff it's very confusing if you just look at it from a weird like from an outside perspective it's it's crazy and i know people are kind of hooked on that which is wild to me because it was stress inducing for sure um but yeah like those just being able to take four days and just completely unplug especially like right now we're getting all all of my teammates at school are getting ready to go back and we're going to try to figure out how to navigate this um and just taking that break to just kind of chill out was awesome so so yeah um if there's any like somehow some way you guys should try to seek that out i don't know it, it obviously looks different for everybody um but yeah it was it was pretty great so I realized halfway through that I was like, I don't really have a point with this. <laughs> so, uh, on that note, we will wrap it up for the week. We have a couple other really good episodes coming up over the next three or four weeks. I already have them recorded. Um, I'm going to try to add a couple this week. So, uh, yeah, I'm loving this, man. I get to talk to cool people like Jeffrey, um, every single week and you know, I'm so inspired by by everybody I've been able to talk to and I've taken away wisdom. I've tried to apply it in my life, sometimes successfully, sometimes non-successfully. Um, but that's part of it. That's part of this journey. And it's a crazy wild journey. There's ups and downs, there's peaks and valleys, but but that's what makes it that's what makes it uh worth living, worth taking on, right? That's what living life feels like. It's going to be ups. It's going to be downs. It's going to be all over the place. Um, but if you're out there and you're you're not in zombie mode and you're actually just sitting there just excited to take on your day every single day and also confident that you're going to be able to handle any situation thrown at you, that's where that's where you find power. So anyways, we'll get back at you guys next week.